Uh, you may know the book, Good to Great. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. It was the go-to leadership book in the early 2000s, written by Dennis Collins. Now, many of the companies that he highlighted in his book, if you are familiar with that, went belly up over the last several years. Really, the Great Recession is one of those that caused it. If you remember back in 2008, uh, many of the companies that were highlighted in the book failed to adjust to the changing needs of those in our country. And so as a result, uh, they no longer are in business, but the principles are the same. Uh, They listed out, actually, Dennis Collins did five of the key principles or notable characteristics of a good leader who wanted to become great, to be able to transition from just good, once again, to great. Uh, One was clarity, another courage, decisiveness, humility, and passion. Those were the five key characteristics focused on in this book to have someone transition to become a stronger, more effective leader in their lives. And so, as a result, many who read that did just that, moved up within their companies, became more effective. In the Christian life, as we know, if we want to become stronger in our relationship with Christ, stronger in this area of faithfulness, which is really what we're focusing on for the entirety of this book of 2 Timothy, our go-to place, our go-to book, obviously, is God's Word. We read it, we study it, memorize it, apply it, and we walk through life trusting that in the process of all of that, the Holy Spirit will continue to change our lives from the inside out, our go-to book. And so as Paul was addressing Timothy in these verses we're going to look at today, there are really four key characteristics that are essential for those who desire to be faithful relationally to Christ. Uh, The first is that we are called to be strong in grace. We're going to look at that and talk through that. Next, to be focused like a soldier. The third, disciplined like an athlete. And then finally, to be steady like a farmer. It's going to be very good for us today. Let's pray, though, before we begin to read the passage and really start to walk through it. So, Father, this morning as we look through, study, focus on you and your word, I pray that you would speak loudly and clearly to our hearts and lives, that not only we would be encouraged by what you're sharing with us, but, God, that we would desire so much these qualities of being faithful, uh, that you would do the work in us, that you would gain the glory for all of that. So help us in these moments. Thank you that you are with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's read that, and then we'll go back through, and, and we'll study it together. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard me In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So it's interesting, as Paul already had 
through chapter 1, through the first portion of his letter, encouraged and challenged Timothy, this one who was timid, who was wrestling with that, starts off to be strengthened by or in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Interesting, the term grace. It's possible that you've not heard a definition of that before, or maybe you know it well. Uh, The definition of grace, the best one that I've found, is unmerited favor. Having grace, being gracious in spite of, in essence. We all know that we wrestle with the flesh and sin constantly. Yet in spite of that, if we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers our sin, covers our lives. And so with our sin, as we continue to struggle and wrestle, God sees us through the lens of the blood of Christ. And so in that, we receive grace again and again and again. We are not only called to experience the grace, the unmerited favor of Jesus relationally with him, we're also called to extend grace to those who are around us, to be gracious, as gracious as God is to us. So think back on the last week. All of your interactions, whether it be in grocery stores, at work, at school, wherever you've been, characteristically for you, for those who came into contact with you and had conversation or relationship, how would they characterize those interactions? You to them. Gracious, harsh, difficult to spend time with, easy to be around. Did they see in your life this concept or this biblical quality This gift that God has given us relationally with grace, did they see the same in your life? I think there are times that we can tend to be, whether we realize it or not, whether we are choosing to do it or not, consciously or unconsciously, we can at times be fairly harsh with people, especially with those who know us and love us the most, because the filter turns off. We get with our family, we get with our spouses, we get with our kids, we get with others, And because we can let our hair down and be ourselves, sometimes, detrimentally to us, we can become so comfortable that whatever comes to our mind comes out of our mouth. And instead of being an encouragement or a builder, we can tear down, we can destroy. And our words mean something. And so instead of constantly displaying grace, mercy, obviously filtered and saturated with the truth of God's word, We can become harsh and become the opposite of who God is in our lives. How was it this week for you? How did you do in your interactions with others? Would they say of you that you were a very gracious, grace-giving person? We have been forgiven much. We continue to be forgiven of much. God forgives us every time. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin. And not only that, but purifies from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so if we are forgiven that much, how much do we, how easily do we forgive others when they wrong us or wrong those close to us? That is a sign and a picture of grace. Sometimes that's a process for us, depending on whatever took place, whatever happened, whether the person realized they were doing something against us to us or not. Our responsibility, our response immediately, whether we're asked for it or not, should be forgiveness, not a heavy-handed, as Mitch Holtus would say, putting the hammer down every opportunity we have 
with whoever is near us to basically wipe them out verbally, relationally, word of the opposite. That is the picture of being strong in grace. 1 Samuel 16, if you can recall the story of Samuel looking for the next king, grieving that Saul wasn't the one, David obviously being the one who was to be anointed, we see in verses 6 to 7 of 1 Samuel 16, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So where does he begin the process with us of becoming, our becoming, strong in grace? It starts in the internal, the heart, the inside of our lives, the transformation of God with us, becoming who he's called us to be. It begins in the heart. God doesn't see as man sees. When was the last time, maybe even today, any of us looked at someone else and judged the outward appearance? It's natural for us to do that, to see something, to judge, and to move on. And we think because we judge him, our judgment of that individual is correct. And so we base a lot of that on the exterior instead of focusing on what God focuses on, the interior, the development. Eventually, if we are truly his and he is changing us as he promises to do from the inside out, the outside will begin to reflect and look more and more like him as well in the way we respond to people and to him. So how is that in your life? What do you look at first? Do you value more the innermost part of a person? Or is it strictly based on the exterior whether or not they measure up to whatever standard we have placed in their lives. God does not see as man sees. So as he transforms us, especially in this area of grace, we should see the process in our lives beginning to appear more so to the inside of an individual instead of the outside. The takeaway, obvious. We also see 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, one of Paul's struggles with which we can relate. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The world heralds the strong. Strength, pride, ego, position. But Paul shares with us those are not the characteristics or qualities that draw us closer to the king or make us more like him. It is actually the opposite. Now, are high positions in companies wrong? Does God 
abhor those individuals who have significant roles within companies or are successful in business or have things together? Absolutely not. If followers of Jesus are giving him the glory for what he's doing and not taking it for ourselves. He is the one who builds. So while the world says this exterior strength, this ego, this build is what we're to strive for, Christ is saying actually the opposite. Instead of celebrating those things constantly and actually verbally telling people how important we are, we're to be strong and celebrate our weaknesses. Even in the church, though. How often do we readily celebrate and share what our weaknesses are? Do we even have the time or make the time to spend with individuals sharing the depths of our hearts what our weaknesses are? All of us have them. All of us deal with sin. All of us wrestle with the flesh. All of us struggle. We are all built differently, wired differently, uniquely by God. And all of us struggle. So what would happen... If followers of Jesus, though, who are in deep love relationship with him, instead of constantly talking about what we're doing well, would begin to share with one another, listen, I'm struggling with this. This is a weak part of my life. Paul, begging God to take this from him. Three times he pleaded. And God spoke to him and said, I'm not doing that because I want to keep you in a position where you won't become conceited, you will remain humble. What if... In our prayer life, with those weaknesses, whether physical, emotional, relational, mental, whatever it is, God has chosen not to transform those things in our lives to cause us to be closer to himself, depending on his strength instead of our own. Well, that's to the glory of God. He desires that in us. Paul is communicating that with, that, with us, living more strongly in the grace of God. Instead of his own strength, that is what we are called to, living in the truth. We are called to be strong in grace. Next, <clears throat> we are called to be focused like a soldier. If you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, you probably remember the initial scene. The boat's coming into Omaha Beach, D-Day, focused on Tom Hanks' face, and then it showed the other soldiers, most of whom knew that once that lift gate dropped, the German guns more than likely would kill most of them. It's really an unforgettable scene. Those soldiers understood they were giving their lives up that day for the cause of America remaining free for all that was happening. They gave their lives for this country. Produces in us those who served in the military, and those who have an, a deep sense of gratitude for those who have given their lives for this country. Soldiers understood, I will follow the orders of my commanding officer, and I will strive to please that officer. Whoever it is who's over me, whoever's responsible, I want to make sure that, that my commanding officer knows I'm in this all the way. And those soldiers many of whom over the centuries have died for our freedom, displayed just that. Well, in this portion of Scripture, Paul, this letter, challenging, encouraging Paul, starting in verse 3, to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled 
or involved in civilian pursuits or affairs since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So we, just as the military, are called to, relationally with Christ, keep our eyes focused, a laser vision on Jesus, serving him, our commanding officer, being obedient, laying our lives down as he laid his life down for us, sacrificing, knowing that the cost will be great. I think there's a tendency, or has been, and we've talked about this before recently, that we so focus on, with salvation, going to heaven, that there's this missing piece that that's all it is. There's nothing required of you after. You get saved, you go to heaven, and, and that's enough. And you can, because now you're saved, can live any way you want to. You can do whatever you'd like. You can continue to follow whatever it is in your life that you want the most. There was a time, especially in the 1980s and 90s, where the, the sole focus of salvation was get to heaven. That's very misrepresentative of the gospel and of salvation. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I once lived in the flesh, I, 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 I'm dead to that. I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we're truly crucified in Christ, and if we're sharing that with those who are lost about salvation and giving them a real picture Following Jesus is actually much harder than not. And if we truly are <clears throat> dead in Christ, dead, dead to the flesh, alive in Christ, then we are as if we are laying in a casket just as those who pass away dead. So if someone comes up and they punch us in the face or they wail on us on our chest and our body or if they do things to us physically that would be very painful, or if they sit there and scream at us or call us bad names or do whatever it is, we as dead people would not respond, right? Dead people in caskets don't respond verbally to, to attacks. They don't physically defend themselves when someone comes up with attacking. Dead. So the principle spiritually that we're to get from that is that if we are truly dead to our flesh and alive in Christ, when these persecutions come, when these things come our way, when we get challenged, yes, we state the truth. Yes, we defend the gospel. But from a personal standpoint, we don't take offense. We remain faithful and we show Christ the graciousness of Christ, depending on his strength, being focused like a soldier, so much so that we realize whoever the conflict is with, it's not really with that person. Ephesians chapter 6, spiritual warfare, reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and rulers of this dark world. But when we have conflict with people, we forget that. And we think that that person is coming against us. Actually, the person is coming against Christ, especially if it's in a, a spiritual part of our relationship with the Lord. Outside of that, even if not, we have to realize the enemy is at work 
and that our battle is really not with the individual. It's with our enemy, with our flesh. And if we can respond as the dead man does in that setting with those individuals, not replying, not coming back at them, not being aggressive, but instead shining the love of Jesus, sharing with our words grace, mercy, peace, love, that God wants a relationship with him or her. Our lives would be radically different. In fact, those individuals who are responded to with soft terms, soft tones in our lives, Proverbs tells us it's like heaping burning coals on the forehead of those who are coming after us. It will drive them crazy because they're looking for an aggressive response to whatever they're bringing to us. Instead, we are to be filled with the love of Christ, sharing that response, willing to give our very lives to him. Paul is reminding Timothy 